We love you, bro. Hello, hello. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Good, good to see everybody today. Thank you for the love. Thank you, Denise, for your great leadership. And uh, it's just great to see everybody again. I, I, um, God is good, man. Um, and, and so I just want to say, uh, first let me say happy Black History Month uh, this, this month and, and, and salute and to, to black history. And um, I think it's, it's always important to remember you know, the history. Um, oh, I think I'm in trouble with the sauce. There we go. Sorry about that. All right, we're good? Good. All right, cool. Um, yes, so I know, you know, we want to celebrate it all year round, but the reality is it's, it's not, and we can always do a better job um, of just acknowledging the Imago Day upon African Americans in this country. And uh, unfortunately, too many people are not aware of some of the great accomplishments and struggles um, that are within the black community and uh, people are unaware of the great accomplishment of uh, Dr. Daniel Hill who did the first open heart surgery, successful heart surgery in this country. It was a black man. Um, Benjamin Banneker who uh, invented the first wooden clock that was precise for decades and challenged Thomas Jefferson, uh, astronomer and mathematician in, during slavery time. Um, he was a great man. Fannie Lou Hamer uh, was a great, powerful woman that uh, had to deal with so much uh, resistance and justice in the heart of Mississippi, a place where they've had the most lynchings in, in our nation, and she fought voter suppression. And so when you honor uh, black history, you honor the Imago Day, and you fight against racism and the suppression of history. And so, um, so thank you for that, and uh, let's pray. Let's get into this. Um, Father, we thank you for this time. We thank you for your grace and your mercy, truly. We just center ourselves on you, Lord. Everything that we've brought in here from the week, Lord, we pray that um, the residue be, would be rinsed off if it hasn't already been and pray that our ears can hear, pray that our eyes can see, and that you would just speak, Lord, and that we will leave better than what we came. Thank you for your grace today. Speak to us, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. So, I love scripture. I love the Bible. I know sometimes the Bible gets a bad rap for being archaic or outdated. Am, am, oh, okay. Got to gotta make sure the sound is right. Can we give it up for Andrew? My man is, is uh, on point. It's, it's been a while. I'm sorry, y'all. <laughs> I'm good now? All right, cool. Um, so the, the Bible usually gets a bad rap for being archaic and outdated. But there are some shining jewels in the Bible that actually show society is a bit behind and we have to catch up to God's word. Things that show God's fingerprints. And I'm going to show you something. Um, go with me to Job 26 and 7. <clears throat> and it says, 
He spreads out the northern skies over empty space. He suspends the earth over nothing. He suspends the earth over nothing. Now, wait a minute. How did he know this? That fact is clear to us now in 2022, but this was written in the oldest book of the Bible over 3,500 years ago, before uh, all of our developed science, before Isaac Newton and, and Albert Einstein. At that time, uh, people, this, would, this is, sounds insane actually, because everything on earth Nothing floated by itself, except for the clouds, right? And so the people actually thought like the earth is flat, or there was beliefs that the earth was on a turtle, or that there was a man holding it up, or that there were strings holding it up and stars. This is what people believed. So for somebody to say this, it just sounds like crazy, right? Um, and they didn't understand what was holding the earth up. How can a man know this? He's influenced by God. Find establishment or foundation that's unseen in the eyes, but sanctioned by God himself that holds up the earth that holds up the sun, that holds up the moon, all these planets in the galaxy are being held up by something unseen to our eyes and our knowledge, but it's God. And this unseen connection, it, it influences all of our lives, everything that we're doing. We call it gravity now, the reason why we're not all floating in the air, right? Um, and if you take away that, we're, we're just free falling, right? We're in space or whatever. And so what I've found um, just in my studies in the last couple of years, there's another unseen connection that has great impact and influence on our lives, uh, threaded throughout humanity, threaded throughout our life that I don't think is, is taught that much. And I've never been taught it. And I wanted to take you on this journey um, to see that unseen connection between worship and justice. And it's very rich in the Bible, extremely rich in the Bible. And it's not just something we can just dismiss and look over because these things are connected to our great God. Um, and so let's dive in, all right? Uh, let's start here. Matthew, not Matthew, Micah, <laughs> Micah 6, 6 through 8. And the scripture reads, with what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves, calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He, verse 8, he has told you, O mortal, what is good 
And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God? Our text today starts out with this question, with what shall I come before the Lord? This is a powerful question. And as humans, we ask this question, what do you come to God with who owns it all, right? Even Psalms 50 and 12, he's talking to the psalmist. He says, if I were hungry, this is God. If I were hungry, I would not tell you. For the world and all that is, it is, is mine. So if God needed something, we couldn't even technically provide it for him. But this is a, a, a resounding question that reigns in our hearts. Like, what can we give God? Multiple people have asked it in the Bible. We see the psalmist, another psalmist says, what shall I return to the Lord for all his bounty or benefits to me? Um, Job says, if you are righteous, what do you give to him? What does he receive from your hand? What can we give this God that is ruler and creator of our universe? And so I want to come back to that question. And let's just kind of dive into the text and see what's going on, like who's talking, first of all, and kind of like what's the scene set here so we get better understanding. And so the person that's talking here is a prophet named Micah. Okay, we're going to talk about prophets and their role that God gave them throughout this series. It's important, but Micah, he was a prophet that lived in the southern kingdom of Israel, and he was lived in a, pure, in a poor city. And that city was actually on the border between Judah and what would be considered no man's land. It was like a key location. And that no man's land was constantly up for grabs between the major empires of the time. And so Micah and the people in his town would often see the Assyrian army come through their small town to battle Egyptians or Philistines. And so Micah was in this place where he couldn't ignore what was going on in his world. He wasn't privy. He couldn't close his eyes. They were, they were strategically in a space that was pivotal to their, to their time and the shaping of their time. Sidebar, where has God placed you at? That you, what, what do you view? What do you see in your space um, that is shifting and changing communities? We'll come back to that. And so Micah has this heart. If you read the whole book, he has this heart for the poor. He has this heart for um, those that are homeless. He has this heart for those that are marginalized because he's seen his small town and people he knows often bullied and, you know, just pushed to the side. And so that's a little bit who he is. And, and, and just another thing, the role of the prophet is very unique. God has always been about justice. And so he set up ways to administer it. And the king at this time, it used to be judges, but at this point in time, the king was to administer justice. So if you do your studies on kings and when they were sanctioned, there will always be justice that they would have to administer. And so if the king slipped up, God had the prophet as the backup. 
all right? And he would come sometimes with no chill, right? And let them know there were, he wasn't under the king's salary. He was under God's uh, team. And so he would come and make sure that there was, it was, things were doing right. The king was doing right. Because Israel's king was different than other kings, and we'll get back to that. And if the prophet didn't do right, because there were prophets that messed up, right? God would send other prophets, or he would send himself, i.e. Jonah, or a whale. <laughs> All right? And so what's happening in this text? To see what's happening in this text, what's the scene, right? We got to go to verse 1. We got to go back up. Verse 1, it says, Hear what the Lord says, rise, plead your case before the mountains, and let the hills hear your voice. Hear, you mountains, the controversy of the Lord, and you enduring foundations of the earth. For the Lord has a controversy with his people. He will contend with Israel. And other versions says God is making a charge against Israel. And so the author, the prophet, gives a scene of a court case. And God is like wearing the Perry Mason suit. And he has a problem. And they're in court, and he said, let the mountains be the witnesses. They've been around for a long time. The foundations of the earth be the witnesses to this. And God's chosen people, they're on the stand now. And God is the prosecutor. This is what we're seeing, um, that God um, is authentic. And... Um, if he has an issue, just because, if it's, just because it's his chosen people, it doesn't mean that he's just going to let his chosen people get away with anything. And so God, in his Perry Mason suit, my mom used to watch that all the time growing up, right? I used to see it. It's a lawyer, old-time classic, right? He pulls out the files. He got the data. He got the receipts. What's those files? Verse 3, he says, Oh, my people, what have I done to you? And what have I wearied you? Answer me. For I brought you up out of the land of Egypt, redeemed you from the house of slavery, and I sent before you Moses, Aaron, and Miriam. O oh, my people, remember now what King Balak of Moab devised, so there was a plot, right? What Balaam, son of Beor, answered him, and what happened from Shittim to Gilgal, and that you may know the saving acts of the Lord. So God is saying, wait a minute, hold on. I took you out of oppression and slavery. I gave you some good leaders. They were plotting on you, and I stopped the plot that you know that I, I care about you, that you know that I'm with you. So God is like, what's, what's, what's happening here? What's the reason? I, I kind of see it like, you know, a parent. Like, what, what did I do to you? And so... Now we're back to verse 6. Now you got a little context. You see who's talking, right? It's very, it's very important to ask these questions so you can flush out what's going on. And so we're back to Micah's, Micah's question. And in the main text, and now Micah is parroting the response of the people, sort of parroting their position. And the central question really is around worship. Now, there's many variations of the Hebrew word worship, but one of the main ones is shakah, which is bended knee, means to bow before the Lord. It's this posture that you're, 
that you're recognizing he is above me. And I have to, I have to act appropriately because he is above me. And so this really is a question in another way. What is the proper and best way to worship God? And so this is a question about worship. And so let's talk about worship a little bit. How do they see it? How do we see it? What's, you know, what do we see worship is? Now, let's talk about us first, right? If you Google worship on your phone, first things that will come up, you'll see a lot of people probably in a, in a, in a big fancy church, hands raised, singing. Uh, fancy lights, all of that stuff, right? You keep going, what you're going to see mostly is singing. You'll see Hillsong, you'll see uh, bands, you'll see some gospel choirs and robes, C.C. Winans. You know, you, you'll see a huge industry that's worth more than half a billion annually, right? And that has about 80 million listeners. And so when we look at worship, it's kind of we attach it to singing, right? And, and, and so that's kind of the language that we use currently in modern day around worship, that it's the singing, that it's the, the part before the, before the preacher preaches, or it's the whole service, or it's the whole house, right? We call it houses of worship, right? So, so we see action, we see uh, event, we see place. But God is trying to show us worship is more than the containers that we put it in, right? There's, there's more, and sometimes we can miss the mark. And here, what did they see it as? They saw the way we see the way we see the prophet respond to them, we can kind of tell what they felt worship was. What do we see? Micah lays it out. He asks questions about the burnt offerings. Should I give a thousand rams, animal sacrifice, rivers of oil, my firstborn? These were some of the common practices except for the last one, right? And just like singing and adoring God in our spaces is what God commands us to do, these were also commanded at the time. Christ had not come back yet and died for our sins. And so some of these were, they, so they were partially true in, in terms of what they should be doing and partially proved how they valued God. But they were missing the mark. That wasn't, we get the clue that God wasn't content with all these grand motions of worship at their time. And so God responds. What, I, I like how he responds. It kind of sounds like a black parent to me. It says, he has told you in verse 8. Like, I can hear my pop say, I done told you, you know, <laughs> like, um, and every time you're in trouble, like, what did I say? You know, it's, it's, it's the questioning, right? And uh, we see the contrast. He, he begins to contrast what their worship is by answering the question. And we get to see, we begin to discover what false worship is. Micah is sort of separating the real from the fake. And, and here we see this is the unseen connection. 
Notice that the question around worship is not for them to do um, more of what they're doing, to bring more rams, to bring more oil, to build more temples. God is not necessarily asking that. Notice God actually points to justice. He points to justice, which implies they were walking in injustice, which comes back to the original charge while we understand why they were in court and God was charging something against them. But wait a minute, what does that worship have to do with justice? <laughs> we see, what, well, what is the problem? What's going on? Because here we see Israel is tripping, tripping. What were those injustices you say? I'm glad you asked. So economic justice was one of them, injustice. We go Micah 2, 2, 3. We just run down some of the things that Micah talks about in this book. He says, Alas, for those who devise wickedness and evil deeds on their beds, when the morning dawns, they perform it because it is in their power. They covet fields and seize them, houses and take them away. They oppress householders and house and people and their inheritance. So people's houses were being taken, their income was being taken and seized. What else did we see in the book of Micah? We see oppression, bullying peaceful people, women and children being taken advantage of. Chapter 2, verse 8 through 9, it says, let me read. It says, but lately my people have risen up as an enemy. You strip the robe from the peaceful and from those who pass by trustingly with no thought of war. It says, the women of my people, you drive out from their pleasant houses, from their young children, you take away my glory forever. There's violence, chapter 3, 2 to 3, that gets kind of graphic, you can read that on your own. But there's bribery and stealing through priests. Chapter 3, verse 9, he says, hear this, you rulers of the house of Jacob and chiefs of the house of Israel, who abhor justice and pervert all equity, who build Zion with blood, and Jerusalem with wrong. Its rulers give judgment for a bribe. Its priests teach for a price. Its prophets, its prophets give oracles for money. Yet they lean upon the Lord and say, surely the Lord is with us. No harm shall come upon us. These were the injustices that were going on. That not an individual, but a nation, an accumulation Sanctioned by rulers, and I want us, you know, these injustices, they look very familiar to me. They look very familiar. When I look at our nation's history to our present, I do see economic injustice presently. I do see America's struggles with poverty that we're one of the leading countries out of all the 26 developed nations, we have some of the highest rates in poverty and homelessness. You know, a CEO can afford uh, food for thousands of families, like the CEO of Chase can afford that, but the teller can't afford to put food on the table sometimes for their own household. It's kind of uneven. America leads in, in, income, in income inequality Modern-day redlining still exists. Black and brown communities are still being put into places with 
high pollution rates and have higher asthma rates because of the, 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 the unfortunate sanitation and, and, and all of that. We still see oppression and bullying peaceful people and the women and children being abused. In our family town hall, one of our guests talked about how women and children are one of the leading people in shelters, leading populations in shelters in New York City. Black men are still two times more than likely unarmed to be killed by police. Bribery and stealing through priests, corruption through religious leaders, I think we're all aware that that still goes on, still happens. <laughs> um, ecclesiastical crime, and this is worldwide, but it's projected to be about 37 billion worldwide. That's how much is like embezzled. <laughs> That's about 6% of how much there's always. So there's a lot of that going on. And so I can see America being put on that stand right along with Israel. And God saying, what, what, what is going on? What is happening? What, what, what are we doing here? But can you see what Micah is trying to tell us? Can you see, he says, I think he's saying when injustice is present, worship is not really worship. It's really just a power play on God. It's like bribery. <laughs> You're trying to bribe God, or it's like cover for your consciousness, right? You, you, I know it's nobody here, but we may know some people, right? It's hard for them to apologize. I've seen this parody uh, about black mothers, right? And it, it's probably everybody, right? But it's this parody that says, you know, when a black mother feels bad, um, she'll say, uh, you want to go to McDonald's? <laughs> you know, can I get you some ice cream, right? I, I can relate to that, right? Sometimes it's hard to apologize, especially when you're a leader, right? You may, some of you may know some friends. Some of it may be you. You know, it's hard to apologize, and on a broad scale, Israel didn't want to deal with the issue. They wanted to dwell in comfort and safety of this form of worship. But it really wasn't worship. Because if we remember what worship is, worship is the appropriate response to God to bow below. Because he is above to lower oneself. And when you choose to walk in injustice, it's not bowing before him. Because guess what? Worship is a response to God, but justice is an attribute of God. It is a part of him. The Bible says justice and righteousness are foundations of his throne. It is a part of who he is. And so how can I truly worship somebody and I don't fully agree with them. It's like loving a parent and hating their child. It's an inconsistency there. And so here we learn that false worship is not just worshiping and bowing to other gods and religions, but it can also look like injustice, a power play bribing God, trying to soothe your consciousness instead of repenting and going before him and doing right.
for that neighbor. You know, Christ died for that neighbor as well. And so Micah gives us a hint to what true worship looks like. And it's not just connected to building on this show and theater. He says, I told you, O mortal. O mortal shows that this is a universal scope, that it's not just for the Hebrew people at that time. It's just speaking for everybody. If you're a mortal, this is for you. What does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness? This is the, what the doctor ordered. These, the titanic triad, they go together. They are not isolated. They lend themselves to each other. Let's go through them. Do justice. Um, do justice. Operative word, do. Not just think about it. Not just speak about it. Um, we do a good job of talking, right? But to actually do it. Not to talk about it after the staff meeting. Oh, you know, boss shouldn't talk to that person like that. No, to actually stand up in your staff meeting and say something and advocate. To do it. Justice is the insurance of the second greatest commandment. All the law built on these two commandments. First, you know, love the Lord God with all your heart. Second, love your neighbor. Injustice is the insurance of that, the accountability of that. Fairness, equity. It's restorative. It's not some people just consider justice as equal equality, fairness. But really, when we look at justice, we're really talking about fighting for the least of these. Proverbs 31. When the mother is speaking to the king that will, he, son that will be a king, she says, uh, speak for the voiceless. Watch out for the powerless. This is to do justice. Love kindness. What about that? Love kindness. Let's just think about that for a second. What is kindness? Affection, goodwill. It's something different from doing kindness to being kind to actually loving kindness. Like we're taught these words like professional and courtesy and those are sort of like simulations of kindness in a space with those that you don't like. Right? Um, so you can be professional and courteous to somebody, but it doesn't mean that you, you like what you're doing. To love kindness means to embrace and actually like, no, I, I enjoy doing this for you. It's not like pulling teeth, right? It's, it's you run to it. It's one thing if I tell you, do your job. Another thing if I tell you, love your job. One thing if I tell you, you know, go clean up. It's another thing if I tell you, love cleaning up. <laughs> I felt like I struck a chord right there. <laughs> I'm preaching to myself. I'm really, it's really, really preaching to myself here. But let us not get caught up in culture and these forms of kindness, but really getting to like true kindness seeing the value of our neighbor that is different from us, that may oppose us. This is the difference between 
biblical justice and just regular world justice is that justice sees all parties and that all are God's children. And we don't pretend. Keep it real. Uh, walk. I just smile. I loved to walk humbly with your God. First of all, this is the courthouse. God got his prayer mason suit on, and God is mad at Israel for them walking in justice, but that possessive now is still your God. God is not separated from them yet. There's still that relationship. What do you think about when we talk about walk humbly with your God? First, I'm just mesmerized that God wants to walk with us, first of all. But like, what comes to mind? I was just like, I started thinking about, can you just picture two people walking together? What do they do when they walk together? They look at the same thing, you know. They stop at the same stoplight. They have same conversation, right? If one stumbles, the other helps pick them up. It's a journey. It's together. It's a humility. And I'm so humbled that God wants us to walk together. You see, we put worship in containers, but worship is really the constant song that you're singing all day in your heart towards God. And that song is so loud that it allows you to sing it to others in beauty and justice and defend others. Because you know that person is somebody that God crafted and designed special. And that person bleeds like you. That person has feelings like you. And so there's this invitation that we walk with God. Our God. <laughs> the God of the universe. And so God here is making a point through this text that worship is not just isolated. It's not just when we come and sing. It's not just building buildings under him. It's not just giving millions of dollars. But it's connected to justice. We cannot compartmentalize it for our safety. And sometimes it's, it's this safety that we have this distance between people. Because that kindness that I talked about, what do we usually do with kindness? We reserve it, right? We have we have it reserved for certain people that we deem are worthy. And we hand out resumes for it. You know, especially us as New Yorkers, right? <laughs> Can't trust everybody, right? Especially if you've been hurt. And so I just saw the image of men handing out resumes while God is giving free jobs for everybody. And God is inviting us to be the ones to just stop with the qualifications. And when we get weary, he will give us strength because that kindness needs to be our source is him. Our source is him. And so if these things seem a little bit hard, I just want to encourage you today that God does not ask for much. Our sins always outnumber his requirements. But what God is really asking can we see what God is really asking 
is only what he gives us in an abundance of, a fraction of it. All of these things God does for us continuously every day. He does justice for us. He is kind to us. And he pursues us to walk with us. That is all that he is asking. Can you give what I am giving you? If you can't, let me heal you so you can give what I'm giving you. I get the picture really in closing of Matthew 18. Of the, and the subtitle is usually the ungrateful servant. And what happened in that story? That story was a parable that Jesus said. There was a Lord. There was a person that owed that Lord money. And the Lord, um, the guy came to him. He said, I'm sorry, I don't have it. I don't, I don't have it. Um, please have mercy on me. And the Lord thought within himself, not the Lord of God, but we're talking about men here. He said, you know what? I'm going to cancel your debt. Don't, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. You're good. You'll be all right. And so he canceled his debt. The man walks. He's walking in the streets. And you know what he sees? He sees somebody that owes him money. And he runs up on him, yokes him up. He's like, where's my money at? The guy's like, hey, I don't got it. I don't got it. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. He's like, you know what? He beats, the Bible says he beats him up. And he throws him in prison and says, you're not coming out till you give me my money. Now, I don't know how he's going to get his money in prison. <laughs> but this is crazy, right? So, so people see this. They see when he gets off by the, <laughs> by the Lord, doesn't have to pay. And then he goes and throws somebody in prison for not paying him his debt back. Word gets back to the Lord and then he sends for him. And he has a conversation, conversation with him. And it's not a nice one. And he was like, the mercy that I gave you, why didn't you give it to other people? That man could only do what he did because he was given mercy. The, other, the first Lord could have threw him in prison. He wouldn't have had an opportunity, but he chose out the kind of his heart to show kindness and eliminate his debt. And this is what we look like. We look, that, we look like that second person if we don't do justice, if we don't show kindness, loving kindness, and walk humbly with our God. Because God is always giving these things to us. Don't miss this unseen connection. Let God be your restorer. Because we are only conduits of the grace that he gives us. And so, um, I want us to go do justice, love kindness, and walk humbly with our God. And see the tangible connection. Because when we walk fully aligned with God, it allows other things to line up in our hearts with our 
first with our God, then with ourselves. Because, you know, walking in injustice can cause cognitive dissonance with ourselves. It can cause fractures within ourselves, insecurity within ourselves. And then it causes that brokenness with every other relationship. But then when we are fully aligned in our worship and our justice, helps us to see God as he truly is, a defender. You see, God wasn't trying to uh, judge and punish Israel just because they were immoral, because they weren't doing the right worship, the right ritual. It wasn't because they weren't crossing the right T or dotting the right I. See, we often confuse and we see God as bipolar in the Old Testament because of these sanctions. That's only if we confuse what it's about. If we see what it's truly about, God is defending somebody else. God is defending the people that are being stepped upon. God is bringing in the foreigner, the immigrant. God is restoring the women and the children that are being bullied and hurt. And so it allows us to see God clearer, can allow us to see ourselves clearer as people that always need his grace and mercy. And it allows us to see our neighbor clearly without seeing them as the enemy, but allowing us to love them as his children. And um, the worship team can come forward, and that's what we're going to do. We're going to do justice, love kindness, and walk humbly with our God. Thank you.